In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. understand God's command to the children of Israel as they enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, that they are to drive out the Canaanites entirely from the land. And at one point, God says, show them no mercy. How should we understand that? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about the expulsion of the Canaanites, Dr. Tom Egger. He's president and professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Show Them No Mercy. Dr. Egger, welcome back. Great to be here, Todd. What important context do we need to understand in order to rightly look at this situation of the conquest of the Promised Land by Joshua and the people of Israel? Yes, well, it is a story that has a backstory, and the backstory is that the one true God created the heavens and the earth and intended life and blessing and provision for all people. He commanded Adam and Eve and blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the story of the scriptures unfolds, unfortunately, as a story of human rebellion and the story of God's people who were originally created very good, turning away from the God of life and following after gods of their own invention, worshiping created things, and turning away from God's good paths. And the story in the early chapters of Genesis, we have accounts like the Great Flood, where almost all humanity was destroyed, but God in his mercy preserved Noah and his family in the ark. From Noah's three sons, all the nations of the earth spread out, and God called one family in particular, the family of Abram, and then his son Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons of Jacob, who became the people of Israel, he called that one family to especially be the bearers of his promise. From that people, a great savior would come. They lived in that hope. They worshiped the true God. And their special calling, the special calling of this one family, was not simply for their own sake, but it was a part of God's commitment and love for all the families of the earth that he calls this one family to bear this promise of hope and the worship of the true God before the world with the intention that all people would come to know God and his salvation and all people would find life in him. This one people, the children of Israel, end up enslaved in the land of Egypt for generations, but then they are rescued 
by God's mighty power and faithfulness, they're brought out of Egypt. And it's at that time that God commands them to go in and inherit this land, the land long promised to their forefathers. And now is the time of inheritance. And he uh, commands them to go and take possession of the land. What exactly did God command the people to do when they were displacing and driving out the Canaanites? Yes. So this is one of the challenging dimensions of this story for modern readers, but really for ancient readers as well, is that God's commands sound quite harsh. They are very definite commands. He says, go in, take possession of the land, drive out the inhabitants completely. So drive them out completely, he says. And he also commands them for those who stay and resist, he commands them to put all of the Canaanites to death all the inhabitants, even the animals that are there in the city. God commands that they all be killed lest they become a snare to the people of Israel and lest the people of Israel begin to worship their gods. And it's a very exhaustive commandment. And in addition to that commandment of what the people are to do, God himself says that he will send, it's sometimes translated, my hornet or my terror before you, there's a sense in which God himself is acting in a definitive way to help to soften the hearts, soften in the sense of fear, cause the hearts of the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land to tremble before Israel and to flee. So God himself is displacing many of them before the Israelites even show up on the scene, you might say. Why has this command been difficult for some to reconcile with the rest of Scripture? Well, the scriptures present a picture, uh, as I said earlier, of a God who intends life for his creation. He is a God full of love, a God who is generous and giving, a God whose love extends to all the families of the earth. And this is an episode where his patience has expired with this people, and now the time of great judgment has come. And so for people to hear God, the God that they have come to know in their own lives with a God of such faithfulness, a God who even was willing to send his beloved son to take on our flesh, to bear our sins on the cross, a God who has shown so much patience with us, it's difficult for us to see that time of patience come to an end on the pages of scripture in this specific instance and to see the serious judgment that follows. You say that we should take these concerns seriously. Why is that? Well, we should walk patiently with one another in the faith. And for many of our Christian brothers and sisters, and certainly for many unbelievers who are in our lives or in our families, they encounter passages like this, and it can cause them to stumble. It can cause them to ask uh, either, how can I be confident that God will continue to be patient with and merciful towards me? They may ask, how can I take seriously the love of a God who would treat another group of people so sternly like this? And those kinds of concerns are good faith concerns. They are questions that arise in people's hearts. And as Christians, we should patiently walk beside them and encourage them 
always pointing them towards the cross, always pointing them to the place where God's love is most sure and certain, and that is in the self-giving of Jesus for the sins of the world on the cross. How have these concerns about God's commands there regarding the Canaanites in the Old Testament caused some to dismiss Scripture? Yes, well, it's, I think, on the one hand, it becomes inviting for people to say, well, this isn't really a true representation of what God himself actually said. This is really just a cultural expression of Israel's animosity towards its enemies, and the true God would never have said something like this. And so people reconcile themselves with these texts by just pushing the text aside and say, well, it's subject to its human authors, and it probably isn't an accurate presentation of either what really happened in history or at least what God said to the people. It's a convenient way to distance God from these words, from this bloody scene in Israel's history, but it's an approach that obviously does not take the scripture seriously as a revelation of God's true self, a true revelation of the history of God and his people. And I think it also is tempting to set these texts aside by people who have seen things that resemble these stories from the Old Testament in the modern world, horrible scenes in history of genocide and human brutality and cruelty. And this is not simply a case in the Old Testament, this expulsion of the Canaanites. This is not simply a case of human brutality towards others. This is a scene of divine judgment being carried out after a period of great patience on God's part. The time of his patience expires, and it gives us a glimpse of the seriousness of God's judgment over human sin. Why is it important, as you say, to remember that God is God? in a situation like this? Yes, well, we can say to ourselves, if I were God, perhaps I would have approached the situation differently. But there are two problems with that kind of a posture. One is, we aren't God. The God who created the heavens and the earth has the prerogative to deal with his human creatures in the way that he sees as right and best. And secondly, it also assumes that we somehow have a higher view of goodness and justice than God himself. Whereas the truth of the matter is we are the broken, twisted, fallen human creatures, and God is the one who is himself true goodness. He is the righteous one. And so we should never put ourselves in a position to stand in judgment over God. God is God, and ultimately, He is the one who will judge what is good and what is right, and one day he will judge each of us. He is not only our creator, but he's also our judge. And so we should take that that idea that he is our judge and that one day we will face his judgment very seriously. That's what makes the gospel so sweet, is that our God has also become our redeemer and our righteousness, and he freely clothes us in the pure righteousness of his son. He takes away our fear of judgment, and he promises us that one day when we do stand before him on the last day, we will stand before him as his dear, dear children, forgiven and cleansed and arrayed in the righteousness and the sonship of Christ. 
Dr. Tom Egger is our guest. We're talking about the expulsion of the Canaanites. Speaking of judgment, what do we need to understand about God's judgment and divine punishment? We'll get to that question next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Festus shares with Agrippa, Paul brought before Agrippa, Paul's defense before Agrippa, Paul's conversion yet again, and not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. This is Kevin Hildebrand, Cantor at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, inviting you to our campus in November for the annual Good Shepherd Institute Conference, November 5th through 7th. This year's conference includes addresses by Brian Spinks, Paul Grimm, and James Busher, and there's excellent music, including a Bach cantata with the Seminary Cantorai and a hymn festival at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. For complete details, visit ctsfw.edu gsi. Trinity Lutheran Church in Valonia, Indiana, is a mighty fortress that stands as a bulwark against the attacks of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. We are located in Jackson County, about two miles south of historic Fort Valonia on State Road 135. Join us every Lord's Day for Sunday school and Bible class at 8.30 and divine service at 9.30. Come and receive the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation from God's valiant one, Jesus Christ, who has conquered death and holds the field forever. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Memorial Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Tom Egger is our guest. We're talking about the expulsion of the Canaanites. Dr. Egger is author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled, Show Them No Mercy. So, 
You were talking about God as the judge before the break. What do we need to understand about God's judgment and divine punishment? Well, in a day that speaks of God in always, it seems, gentle terms, always as if he would always be on our side out of necessity, that simply his job is to be on our side. These scenes of divine judgment remind us of the true story of the world. And it is a story of deep human rebellion and great wickedness and the total ruination of God's creation, which was created very good without sickness, without pain, without conflict, without death and suffering, without warfare, without hatred. That's the world that God made. Our sin has so marred his world and his intentions that his judgment is appropriate and it's real. It's coming. Jesus in his own teaching, uh, in his earthly ministry, reminded people that he would one day come on the clouds of judgment. And just as it was in the Old Testament when God would come in judgment, he gave the example, for example, of Noah's flood. And Jesus will say things like, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. People will be going about their business giving not a thought to God and his judgment, but it will come and sweep them away. And so we should learn from this scene of God's judgment on the Canaanites that his judgment on human wickedness is real. We should take that seriously, but we should also rejoice that he has given us a place of refuge in his son and that in Jesus and in his wounds and in his righteousness, we are safe forever from God's wrath on human wickedness. What do we need to understand about God's patience, especially with the particular case of the Canaanites? Yeah, that's such an important question and easily overlooked in this story. The story may sound like God is nothing but angry with the Canaanites and that he is very quick to wipe them off the face of the map. But the longer story in the Old Testament, reading back, back into the book of Genesis even, back to the days of Abraham, is a story where God called Abraham to come and dwell amongst the Canaanites in the land of Canaan. And while he was there, he said to Abraham in a vision that his descendants would one day be enslaved in a foreign country, but that God would rescue them and bring them up to inherit this land. And then God makes a very interesting statement there to Abraham. He says, but it will be in the third or fourth generation that they will come up for the iniquity of the Amorites. That's one of the Canaanite groups. This is Genesis 15. God says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, God is not quick to judge the Canaanites, but he waits generation after generation, calling them back to himself, but watching them turn away from him towards all kinds of idolatry and impurity. And ultimately, after that long time of patience, his judgment comes. So this is a story of God's long-suffering patience towards the Canaanites, but it is not an endless patience. It is a patience that one day does come to an end. And of course, God is patient with us as well. And in the New Testament, in Peter's second epistle, chapter 3, 
Peter explains God's delay in coming, Jesus' delay in coming a second time, and he explains it as a sign of God's patience towards the world. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but waiting for many, many more to come to repentance and the knowledge of Christ. What were the detestable things being practiced by the Canaanites when God brought judgment through his people? Yes. Well, the Canaanites were sinners like you and me, so they sinned in all of the ways that human beings typically sin, and all of those things are an affront to our holy God and have no place ultimately in his world or in his everlasting kingdom. But it's interesting that in the Pentateuch, it does specifically describe some of the sins that are the reason why God drove out those people before Israel and the reason why they were wiped out from the land by God and by the Israelites that God was commanding. And the reasons are fairly specific in especially Leviticus 19, 20, and 21. There is a catalog of different commands to Israel where it's saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And at the end, it says, for these are the things that the nations in the land before you, these are the ways that they walked in, these are the things that they practiced. Do not walk in their ways, walk in my ways, the Lord says, or you too will be expelled from the land. And those specific sins are named as sins of worship, worshiping other gods, and sins of sexual immorality, long lists of descriptions of different kinds of sexual perversions and aberrations away from God's holy command that human sex is created to be enjoyed by a husband and a wife, one husband, one wife in a lifelong marriage. And the third thing is child sacrifice. As part of their pagan religious practices, they were actually burning their children alive to a bloodthirsty false gods and thinking that they were somehow achieving prosperity and well-being for themselves by sacrificing their own children, killing their own children. And God says it's because of these detestable practices that his judgment is coming on those people, idolatry, sexual immorality, and child sacrifice. And of course, those are sins that our world continues to be full of in our own day. And it's a warning to us and a reminder that our human family is filling up their iniquity before God, in a sense. They are trying God's patience with their sin that brings such harm to themselves and to others. And the day of God's judgment truly is coming on our land and on our world. So how did God's judgment then on the Canaanites also, as you said here, serve as a warning to Israel? Yeah, well, God explicitly mentions their sins as a warning to the people of Israel. He says, as you come into the land, don't imitate the people who came before you. That's one of the reasons for expelling them so that the Israelites don't begin to follow after their ways to worship their false gods. And God, he also uses the language of polluting and vomiting. He says, these iniquities of the people who went before you polluted the land so much that the land vomited them out. It's a very interesting picture, but it's a picture here describing the judgment 
not so much as God's direct activity or even the Israelites' activity against the Canaanites, but almost as if their sins are so against nature itself and the way that God has created the world. God has created the world for good purposes, for righteousness, for well-being and flourishing, and their practices were so against the grain of God's intention, so rebellious, so perverted, so aberrant, that the land itself could no longer tolerate the Canaanites living there, and the land vomited them out. And God's warning to the people of Israel is, if you follow their practices, you too will pollute the land, and the land will vomit you out. And in Israel's history, that actually happened. They worshiped other gods. They practiced sexual immorality, even child sacrifice. And the time came when they lost the land. Foreigners came and drove them out of the land, destroyed the northern kingdom, took the southern kingdom into captivity in Babylon for decades. And so God's warnings were not just idle warnings, but actually played out in Israel's own history. Dr. Tom Egger is our guest. We're talking about the expulsion of the Canaanites. So we come to those words, show them no mercy after the break. Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. 500 years before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving, change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety. Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry lcms.org slash deaconess expert guests expansive topics extolling christ you're listening to issues etc our christian faith is under constant attack and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church at faith lutheran school in plano texas we believe that an education rooted in god's word is one that stands against the very gates of hell nothing in this world is more important Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681.
back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about the expulsion of the Canaanites with Dr. Tom Egger. He's president and professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, and author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Show Them No Mercy. Here's a recent comment from another satisfied Ad Crucem customer. I just wanted to thank you for the beautiful wood plaque you made for our pastor. When I unwrapped it, I was so very impressed with how perfect it was. It is a, such a lovely work of art and surpasses our expectations. He was very pleased to receive it. Thank you again for making it and for getting it to me on time for our event. Ad Crucem provides Christ-centered, high-quality art, greeting cards, jewelry, baptism and confirmation gifts, church banners, posters, and more. Visit their online store at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Dr. Egger, we come to these words and that command of God. How should we understand that command, show them no mercy? Well, it's to be understood as a very specific command of God in a very specific historical moment. Just as, for example, when God opened up the clouds to rain down on the world to destroy humanity with the great flood, that was a one-time event of his judgment at that moment of history. It was not an indication that every time it rains, God is intending judgment for his people. In fact, God, after the flood, says exactly that, that he'll never destroy the world again in that way. And this command to his people Israel, show no mercy to these foreigners, is not a permanent posture. It's not a standard disposition that they should have towards those around them, that they would never show mercy to them. But at this moment, when they are coming in to inherit the land after this season of generations of God's patience, God's time of judgment against the Canaanites has come. The Israelites are the agents of that judgment in that one historical moment. But Israel's calling in the future will not always be show them no mercy to others, to outsiders, but rather to be a light to the nations. They are to be a vehicle of God's blessings, God's promises, God's truth and word, and especially the hope of the coming Messiah. And that certainly is his calling for his people today. In fact, you could almost take this command, show them no mercy, as marching orders for the church, God's people today, by just taking out the word no. The Great Commission is to show the world mercy, to proclaim the merciful one, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, whose great mercy is the world's only hope, and to show that mercy not only in word, but in deed to those around us. That is our calling as Christians. There are some who believe that this account of God's judgment should guide their interactions with unbelievers today. You said it's a very specific command. How do you respond to that? Yeah, well, certainly our calling is not to take up the sword and spread our faith by military violence. That is not the, the calling of Christians. That's not the calling of the church. Now, Christians can serve as soldiers in God's left-hand kingdom, and they can fulfill their duty as a citizen in that way. But in terms of the church's calling to interact with unbelievers around us in the spreading of the faith, that's never to be done at the edge of the sword. Rather, as I said before, our calling is to show mercy to those around us. At the same time, this shocking scene of God commanding Israel to completely wipe out the Canaanites 
is a reminder to us, however, of the seriousness and potential danger of the influence of unbelievers around us on our own faith, on the faith of our children. And so there are many commands in the New Testament that remind us, do not be unequally yoked, uh, warning against marrying outside the faith, warnings against being shaped too deeply by the mentality and the priorities of the world around us. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And this God's serious way of dealing with the Canaanites here is a reminder of just how seriously God himself takes that danger for his people. He wanted them to begin their life in the land without those unbelieving influences all around them. Why is the account of Jericho, the first of the conquests, and in particular the story of Rahab the prostitute, important? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because that really does help us to frame this whole episode rightly, that as the conquest begins to unfold, one of the first things that's narrated for us is one of the Canaanites, one of these that God has commanded the people, show no mercy, kill every man, woman, and child, drive them out completely, he has commanded. And yet one of the very first episodes is they encounter at a lodging place, a prostitute named Rahab, who apparently runs some kind of a lodging or an inn, and they find refuge there. She hides them from the Jericho authorities who have heard that Israelite foreigners have come into the city. She shelters them and she confesses her fear and trust in the one true God, the God of Israel. She acknowledges his lordship and she pleads with them for mercy, basically. She says, when you come in to destroy the city, spare me, spare my family. They commit to do that and that is exactly what they do. When the time comes, she hangs the red, the scarlet cord out of her window to mark the place in the city where she and her family are dwelling. That place marked by that red cord, sometimes uh, associated symbolically in sermons and by church fathers with the covering blood of Christ. She finds mercy with Israel by fearing the God of Israel and confessing him to be the one true God. And, and Rahab, uh, her, she and her family are spared. They end up dwelling amongst the Israelites. She becomes an ancestor of our Lord Jesus himself. And she's a reminder to us that though the Lord speaks a stern word of judgment and law against the Canaanites, even in the face of that stern word of law, there is mercy to be found in the God of Israel by those who turn to him for mercy. We see a very similar scene in the Gospels with the Canaanite woman who is pleading to Jesus to help her daughter. And uh, that's that scene where Jesus says it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And her faith is persistent and she knows her only hope is in Jesus. And she says she would be happy to have just a few crumbs fall from the master's table to help her. And Jesus, he praises her faith and that Canaanite woman also finds mercy in the God of Israel, mercy in the Messiah of Israel, Jesus, who came to have mercy on people of all nations, Gentiles like us, and to call all of us to know him and to have life in him. Do we face spiritual snares as serious as those posed by the Canaanites in the Old Testament? Yeah, well, I was commenting on that a little earlier that... The scriptures warn us to take seriously the 
the power of influences around us. And we certainly do. The scriptures teach that the the false gods of the nations were uh, demonic delusions. We face a very powerful liar and deceiver in the devil and his hordes who delight to bring into the world all kinds of false teachings about God that would point us away from Christ. We face the lusts of our own heart and the sins of our own heart, the kinds of things that led the Canaanites into all kinds of impurity and debauchery. And we face the prevailing thought of the world around us, the group think of the world around us. I think the internet in some ways has made this more powerful than ever. But if groupthink can develop among a people that things like child sacrifice, things like rampant abortion are healthy for society and healthy for families, that kind of groupthink can become so twisted and so backwards among the Canaanites, it certainly can among us also. And we should be wary of being drawn into that groupthink. And what's our defense? Our defense is the strength of God's word, the testimony of God's spirit in our hearts through that word, through his sacraments, through the mutual encouragement and conversation with other Christians within the church, that through the ministry of the church. In all these ways, God is preserving us in the faith and defending us against all of these snares. How do you respond to a non-Christian who says, I couldn't worship a God who advocated for the expulsion of mass murder of people like the Canaanites? Yeah, well, that's a common objection to the claims of Christianity, or at least to the teachings of the Bible. And I would say that God who commanded that judgment is a good and righteous God. He's the God who made you and all things. He's the only God who exists And he's a God who loved you so much that he wanted to spare you from such a judgment and sent his son Jesus to bear your sin and to bear the punishment your sins deserve on Calvary's cross. And that in his death on the cross, Jesus has taken away your judgment before God and he calls you to find hope and life in him. He is not a God who desires to slay He's a God who desires to give and sustain life, and not just life in this world, but life that will never end. We worship a God of the deepest love and the richest giver of life. Dr. Tom Egger is president and professor of Old Testament Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. He is author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Show Them No Mercy. The Lutheran Witness magazine interprets the world from a Lutheran perspective An annual print and digital subscription is less than $25. Find out more at cph.org slash witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, the Lutheran Witness Magazine. Dr. Egger, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. Always great to be with you. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Sean Denzer about paying taxes to Caesar in Matthew chapter 22, and its media coverage of religion with journalist Terry Mattingly. We should not marvel that God judges some of the ancient people as he did the Canaanites. What we should marvel at is his extraordinary patience, not only with the Canaanites, but with us as well, for Christ's sake. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. 
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org. This is Jeff Schwartz, General Manager of Lutheran Public Radio, with a message for listeners in the Mountain and Pacific time zones. We pledge to have Issues Etc. podcasts posted daily, no later than 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific. This will allow you to download and listen to the latest Issues Etc. podcast weekdays during your evening commute. Again, if you live in the Mountain or Pacific time zone, Download Issues Etc. before you leave work and listen during your drive home.